This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. The sun is shining down there in Arizona, by God, and hopefully it'll be that way when we get out there in a couple of weeks. But a man who I know uh, brings sunshine with him wherever he goes. He's out there in Arizona. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Covers the Seattle Mariners for the Seattle Times. Our buddy Ryan Divish is with us. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good. I'm. Uh, I was living vicariously through the videos you've been posting of different, you know, different matchups. Uh, Logan Gilbert on the hill and George Kirby, and I just keep looking at the sky, going, "Man, there's not a cloud in the sky. It looks, looks beautiful out there." Which leads everybody to believe that even Ryan Divish would be smiling and in a good mood. Is that is that accurate? I mean, I I wouldn't say good mood, but yeah, it's, it's been great. Like the, if you think about it, like last year was pretty cold most of the time. I don't think it. I think it got over eighty-five twice, maybe the entire spring. So this year it's been great. Um, you know, weather's been outstanding. Even today, it was kind of overcast to start, and then by about two o'clock, all the clouds had burned off. Nothing but blue sky and the. Uh, no clouds, sunshine. So I, yeah, that part has been absolutely outstanding and. You know, being down here with the team and all, you, you kind of reminded like these guys are all pretty pretty easy to deal with. They're all pretty good guys, and uh, that makes the job a little bit easier when you're writing about you know human interest and all that kind of stuff when they're good guys to talk to. Hey, Divish, uh, as far as you know the the mood and everything, and I know you've been going down there for a long time. Where do you uh, What's what's sort of the the vibe this year that you're getting from Scott Service and the guys that you have talked to? Well, I know Service said that this is like the hungriest group that he's had since he's been down here. Um, I mean, I I can't like sit there and say that it's not. You know, I I don't necessarily measure or see all the stuff he's uh, purview to seeing, but you know, they are very motivated. Um, you know, you're talking about like in, you know, I've had older teams or guys are just kind of professionals and they know what they need to do. And, you know, there isn't maybe that youthful energy. And I've had teams that weren't expected to be good. And I think they, in the back of their minds kind of know it, you know, you have a bunch of guys trying to just make the team. And then even like last year, there was a weird vibe in the sense that they had accomplished something and then they were trying to get back, you know, and for all the talk about world series and, and winning the division and stuff, it was just a different, field they had climbed the mountain to get to the postseason you know they wanted more but you know it was it was different this year is you can tell like how last year ended it didn't please a lot of the guys and i think there's a handful of guys that have something to prove um and then you know you've added some guys that i think you know they come here and they're this point at the points in their careers but they're also trying to show people like hey you know i'm not done here i have i still have left to, ways left to contribute to a team that's a winner so you have a lot of um, younger professionals, I think, that are trying to win something or guys that haven't won anything. And I think that's pretty – it's made it an interesting camp that way. Like, there is a, a different energy than maybe they've, I've seen in the past. Hey, Ryan, I'm curious if you're how you feel about the offseason as we sit now. At the very beginning, you know better than anybody because you're getting all the tweets about the anger of the fan base and the the idea that they're going to actually spend less than they did when they had committed to spending more because of the cable deal and blah, blah, blah. And then with each each move, whether it was Garver, whether it was Hanniger or Rayleigh or any of these, it felt like once they signed Polanco, 
that the tone started to change a little bit, that in totality you look at it and go, okay, yeah, there's a huge caveat if they are healthy. If they're healthy, it looks like a pretty solid lineup. Now, the health is certainly a concern for these guys, but I'm curious where you felt they were when, when the offseason started versus how you feel now looking at this roster. Oh, man, like, yeah, when the offseason started, I mean, you know, it started with the whole 54% thing and dealing with that every day on Twitter. And then, you love that. You know, they, yeah, oh, yeah. And then they, yeah, so much fun. I, I was angry not 54% of the time, but 104% of the time. Um, but, like, you know, like, you look at it, yeah, it didn't go as planned as started. And I think there was a lot of confusion when they traded Suarez and then when they made those other moves and people didn't really know what was going on. And I mean, like even covering the team, you kind of heard bits and pieces, but it wasn't really until the winter meetings where we kind of got an idea of the overall plan that was going to happen. And then when you look at, you know, you make a move, you get Garver, you do this, you do that. And then all of a sudden you look and they've added, you know, four or five guys that are all legitimate big league players that have all produced at the big league level. You're like, okay, I see it now. Yeah. There are risks. There's caveats, but, yeah, that's right. Players can get hurt in any way, you know? And so it's like, okay, yeah, I know I get it. Like given what they were limited to do, like the obstacles they were working with, which is payroll, um, you know, contracts to players that were injured and not going to play right away or players that hadn't really played. And then to make the moves they did without giving up Bryce Miller or Brian, I thought, you know, that's pretty good off season. I mean, like, obviously they want, you know, it's it's a different way of doing it. It's a way of doing that was that was totally limited by ownership, and it's not what you'd ideally want to do if you're a team, you know, year in and year out. But given what they had to work with, I thought they were very creative, and I, I thought that they brought in real guys. Like, yeah, there's injury history for some of these guys, but if you put them out on the field, like they have proven that they can produce at the big league level. This isn't like when they, you know, trying out shed long at second base as an everyday guy or saying they're going to give Dylan Moore a chance to be an everyday second baseman just because, you know, they couldn't find somebody to fill that spot. They went out and got guys to, that have played and produced at the MLB level legitimately over the courses of multiple seasons to play, to play big roles. And I think that's a big difference compared to where they were at in years past. Hey, Ryan, uh, we were just talking about Carlos Vargas, and uh, CBS Sports had him as a, a candidate as a breakout player for the Mariners. Um, as far as the, the bullpen, um, where do you think this? Where do you think they're at? I mean, are they, are they in a good spot? It, it seems like the last few years, and it seems to kind of go year to year, but it seems like for the Mariners it's been good for, what, the last two or three. Um, how, wh- what do you think about this year, looking at uh, the prospects of uh, the bullpen? I mean, like, if they're healthy, it's really, really good because, you you know, you go out and get Gregory Santos from the White Sox. You know, you have Brash and Munoz coming back. Then you have Gabe Spire, who was outstanding. That's four really good high-leverage arms in the bullpen. Now, Brash didn't feel great after his last bullpen on Tuesday, hasn't thrown since. Santos didn't feel great after his bullpen when he got here, I think, on February 13th. Mm-hmm. Hasn't really thrown since. So that's an issue. Again, that's a long spring training. They can be ready to go by opening day. And you still just – the goal is to have them for the bulk of the season. But you have those four guys. And then it's the other four you pick up. I mean, like, with the Mariners, I trust their – I would trust – if I was a fan, I would trust their pitching lab to come up with guys that can do this. Like, Gabe Spire was – a waiver claim last year. Justin Topo was a trade for cash last year. 
you know, Paul Sewald is a minor league sign. Drew Steckenrider was a minor league sign. Like they have a way of going out and finding guys that can contribute and like, you know, that you're not spending a ton of money for. And, and they, they find roles, they find inefficiencies that they can correct all these things. And all of a sudden you look up and, you know, you have all these guys in the bullpen that are really, really good. Taylor Sacedo, another kind of waiver claim guy last year. Like these are guys that weren't, were kind of tossed away by other organizations. They've turned them into something that, you know, who's to say they can't do that this year. I mean, Carlos Vargas. Yeah. I mean, like he throws 101 miles an hour. Sometimes he doesn't really know where it's going. Like when they had Julio hitting against him today, I was like, Oh man, that's the last guy I'd have Julio hitting against. But, you know, he's taking his um, life in his own know, hands. Yeah. I mean, he's got a nasty slider. You know, he just doesn't always know where the fastball is going. They've kind of had him scrap the four seam, focus on a two seam. That's a little bit better. You know, and all of a sudden you got a guy that's throwing a hundred. That's kind of like what Munoz was a few years ago. You know, like when they got Munoz, they knew he threw a hundred miles an hour, but nobody knew about the slider and how that would play. Like, you know, now he has a power sinker. That's 99. Like they're doing the same thing with Vargas. They're trying to get, you know, find ways to make him into a Munoz. I mean, like that's, they, they have an ability to do that. They've proven they can do that. So like, for me, I always sit there and say, they'll figure out a way with the bullpen. They always have because they just have the right pitching people in place to do so. You, we were talking the other day about just areas of concern with this team by position. And and for me, it's third base. I I, I mean, that's usually a, a, a productive spot. That's a power spot. And you've got a, a light-hitting Josh Rojas there who's got a career high in home runs a couple years ago at 11. And Luis Sirius, who's, you know, dealing with his own injury and – I, I don't I don't have a ton of expectation out of that spot with that platoon there. What what is am I being unfair to that? Do you expect more or do you what what's your feeling about what they're doing at third? Yeah, it's probably not ideal. Yeah, I don't I don't think you're unfair to feel that way. I mean like, you know, or you hit those home runs, I think you hit twenty three in a season, um, what was it, three years ago, three or four years ago? He did it in Milwaukee, which is a hitters park. He did it in NL Central, which is a hitter's division. I mean, you know, for God's sakes, Jesse Winker hit 30 home runs in that division, you know, when he's <laughs> playing in that division. So, no, I don't – I look at Urias, he's not throwing. He still hasn't thrown in infield drills yet. He's playing catch, but it's very, like, light catch and looks uncomfortable. So, you know, I mean, he's got a month to be ready for opening day, but, you know, he's still not throwing across the diamond in drills. Uh you know, Rojas is naturally a third baseman. That's not his position by any means. So he has looked, um, you know, I wouldn't say out like gold glove. Like they're 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 taking a significant step down defensively from where Suarez was. You know, and like if you look at this team and all the other additions they made, like you know, you have Suarez there. They all of a sudden they look really good. You know, and that's why people were talking about Matt Chapman is because like you put him there, then all of a sudden you have a plus 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 defensive player uh, who helps out JP Crawford and JP's not great going to his right and going into the hole. So you have Matt Chapman at third, that helps some issues. And then, you know, you're not asking also Matt Chapman to be a massive offensive presence. You're just asking him to bat sixth or seventh and, you know, hit some home runs and, and, and be that guy. And I think that's, if you look at that, that's where you're, you're, you're one piece is that's your finishing piece. I think if they, they had, any way to do that or anybody else that could play there, I think they would. That's I think that's another reason why they brought in uh, Brian Anderson on the minor league side is you got to have some depth at that position. And then the upper levels of the minor league system, they don't have that sort of depth. Brian Anderson's played there. 
multiple big league seasons, been dinged up like a lot of these guys. You know, he can't hit lefties. And so, I mean, would I be surprised if Brian Anderson's on the opening day roster at third base if Arias can't make it? No, not at all. But, I mean, like, again, those that's the one position, like, where I had mentioned, like, they're 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 just kind of piecing it together. And in the past, you know, they'd have two or three positions where they're doing that or they'd have an unproven guy. This year they don't have that except at that one spot. Well, and you brought up Matt Chapman. I want to ask you about that because I know you wrote about, you know, some internal dialogue they've had about him. Other other websites have picked it up and, t- you know, MLB rumors talking about them kicking the tires on Chapman. And I've said, you know, it's a two-part question. A, if they were to land him, I would say that this, you could argue, the best offseason in the Jerry DePoto era if they were to land him. B, realistically, I, I, I thought maybe a 5% chance. What, what do you think? Realistically the chances of picking him up are and and would that make if they did make that move would you call this the best off season for Jerry Yeah I have a better chance of quitting drinking than they do of making that happen um, So zero is what you're saying much, Yeah yeah thinking about how bitter I am every day and how much I need that drink at the end of the night No I I, I think it's pretty I mean like partially is because like we haven't seen Chapman. Like there doesn't seem to be movement anywhere. And I, and I don't know if he's willing to, you know, give in to the demands or Boris is willing to give him the demands, but like the man's not going to give him five years. They're not going to give him a hundred million dollars. They'd be willing to give him maybe three years, you know, three years at 13 or $14 million. They might incentive, make it incentive laden, you know, but they're not going to, I mean, this is a team that's, you know, made a big deal about having payroll flexibility. They're not going to, you know, go against that. Though you could argue like they're, they've essentially invested, you know, $5 million in Urias, $3 million in Rojas in arbitration, both of them. And then if Brian Anderson were to make the team, that's another $2 million. That's like $10 million almost. But, you know, neither here nor there. Like, Matt Chapman makes them better. But I, I, I can see why, like, you know, you don't burn all your money. Like, if you only work on a finite amount, you can't sit there and say, oh, we're going to maximize everything. So then once the season starts, if something were to happen and you need to get a guy that costs money, you can't do it. You know, you need to have some flexibility. So, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, like Matt Chapman would look at their work and say, that's just not happening this year. Maybe I take a pillow contract for one year and try and prove myself and make it go. But I don't think he's going to do that because I don't think that's what his agent wants him to do. Hey Ryan, have you? Uh, how much have you been around Julio, and 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 what have you what have you seen? What's different about him? Is it is it maturity? I like what he said about the sophomore slump and how you know I have to I have to manage that and you know be more consistent and things like that. What what stood out? Uh, the, what you heard from Julio? Yeah, I mean he said all the right things. That's for certain. And I from everything that I've been told and everything that we kind of saw, he's done all the right things in the off season. He was very serious, very dedicated. I think. I think just last year, too, it was an anomaly year. You're coming off the rookie of the year. You have the all-star game in Seattle. You know, they want him to be the ambassador for that, really be the face of that all-star game. And I think he just put a lot of pressure on himself. And I think there were a lot of external commitments, you know, you know, building his brand and things like that, commitments, commercials, everything like that. And, and to be honest, the Mariners, you know, they use him every chance they get, too. They run him ragged trying to, you know, market their team. So I think that in a way, like, I don't think that it was just a lot of that stuff builds up. And then you're, you're, you're looking, you're not starting your season way you want, you start to press and everything kind of goes to hell. I think this year he's come in with a mindset that, you know, 
the focus is still baseball first and I'm going to try and find a way to, to be more consistent. I think at least recognizing that it's an issue because like, you know, he finished fourth in the MVP voting. So like somebody could, you know, another athlete could say, well, what do I have to change? I finished fourth in the MVP voting. But like in Julio's mind is like, if it's, I'd have been better if I'd have done, you know, been more consistent in the first couple of months and been better with runners in scoring position when they needed I could have won the MVP. Well, maybe not because of Shohei, but like, you know, he would have been better and the team might have, you know, the team might have made it to the postseason. I think that's one thing that, that drives these guys a little bit more so than, than maybe, you know, 21 when they're coming in after they won 90 games and they essentially finished two games out, not one like everybody thought, but two games out. But like, this team realized it was one game, basically one game that cost them. And then they, they can go back and look at all the games they gave away and remember how bad they were in May. And, and then like, you know, and that team, this last year's team led the division. It was top of the division for, you know, multiple days, you know, and I think that part of knowing where they were at and where they fell to and then who won it and then the two teams playing for the AL championship and then who won it, I think that has carried the motivation factor a lot higher, you know, like, because that just bothered them. Like, they played well against the Astros last year. They were right there. And then, you know, they didn't play well against the Rangers early, but I – you saw what Kirby could do. They saw that they can neutralize them. And they, I think they think they can, they believe they're a better team than the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers eked in just as much as any other team there. They just got hot in the postseason. Hey, as far as Hanniger's return, I'm, I'm curious what you think a realistic expectation is for him in the way of just availability. I, I put it at a hundred games. I said, if you get a hundred games or more out of him, that's a, that's a huge win. He's only ever played over a hundred twice in his career. Um, what at this point of his career, his age, what he's gone through, is that is that I, I had people tell me I was setting the bar way too low. Is that is that too low or too high? Where would you put the number for him saying that's that's a solid year for him? I think like if they you know, hundred being the minimum of like, okay, that would be the minimum of quality returns. But I think they feel like they can get hundred and twenty maybe. Because he might not play the whole game, you know, he might put somebody else in or, you know, if you can space it out with off days where he plays, you know, because there'll, there'll be stretches where they have multiple off days. So you can play him three or four days in a row because then they have an off day, you know, and then you can adjust and maybe give him two days off in a row, like off of an off day, you give him, you put Canzone in right field or Rayleigh in right field that game and Mitch has a day off. Like if there's a tough righty, like if they're facing, I don't know, some really hard right-handed pitcher, Verlander or somebody who's really dealing Maybe they don't put Mitch in there. You know, that's how you steal your days. So if you can get 120, I mean, I think the the games, like the idea of games are nice, but it's the plate appearances. You know, mm-hmm. 500 plate appearances, you're happy. 600 plate appearances, you're static, ecstatic. You know, set, you know, because that means 600, 600 plate appearances for Mitch Hanniger. He's going to provide you 25 to 30 homers. That's the way it is. I mean, he's that good. He's not afraid to hit in T-Mobile Park. You know, it's the same thing with Polanco. You get 600 plate appearances from Jorge Polanco, you're loving life. That's, you know, that's because he's a productive player when he's out on the field. That's the big thing. Same with Garver. If you can get the, you know, if you got 1,600, 1,700 plate appearances from those three players combined, you're you're really happy with that. That's a lot of production right there from those three guys. And that's not even tossing in whether or not JP is JP, the best player on the team, Julio, whether Ty France is good, you know, you have other players too, Rayleigh, which, you know, Rayleigh, the combination of Rayleigh and Canzo, what do you get out of them? Like, I, I just look at this team. If they're, 
even, you know, 75 to 80% healthy most of the time, they, they're better at finding ways to score runs and just waiting for somebody to, to, want, to take a walk, get on base, and then launch a homer. Hey, Divish, uh, we don't have much time left, but uh, I know that there was a perfect dive bar down there that they went it, – it, it went disco. They put lights in there and new furniture and what was that place called? Yeah. Something moon, blue. The moon, the moon, the moon saloon. Moon yeah, it saloon. looks like it looks like they bought all the furniture from IKEA with the idea of an airport bar. Right. I still go in there. You know, they still have they still mix the drinks well, but it yeah, it hurts my soul. It uh, it hurts mine too. <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping maybe we can find something to replace that. I'll do some some looking around before we get down there. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm sure we can. I mean, look, me and you could have fun at an insurance convention. Yeah. So, like, you know, if we have to, we'll just post up in the media room and grab some drinks there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll come uh, scoop you up off the floor later. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Ryan, uh, as always, we appreciate it, my friend. Have fun down there, and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. See you guys. Thanks, Divish. There you go. Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. What do you say? The chances of them getting Chapman, he's, there's a better chance of him quitting drinking. <laughs> that kind of hit home. Yeah. know exactly what that means. <laughs> That's zero chance. All right. What does a record high salary cap mean for this Seattle Seahawks team? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to Ryan Divish, who joined us in the previous segment. In case you guys are just tuning in, you'll be able to find that conversation on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Always entertaining. Love talking to Ryan. Were we able to get out with Divish last year? I'm trying to remember. No, we did not. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> that was. <laughs> We're not going to let that happen. You got to rectify that this year? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I like how you're going to do research on some places out there. He's down there the whole time. How does he? He's got to know someplace, right? <laughs> yeah, it should be on him. But I'll, I'll I'll have something in mind. But he does a great job. He really yeah. does. I mean, we always talk about and joke that he's grumpy and this and that. And he he jokes he's grumpy. Yeah. I don't think he's joking. I think he is a grumpy guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a naturally kind of negative dude, but he owns who he is. I love that he's just unabashedly him. Well, and you know, like from you know, as far as the how how you rate his responses and things, I thought I thought it was pretty positive. I mean, you know, I think it's like we have talked about certain things have to happen, you know. Right. But I liked, you know, what he was talking about getting the, what do you say, 1,200 combined plate appearances yeah. from, you know, three players. That that could make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, and if you had your hopes pinned on the acquiring Matt Chapman, he didn't give us a lot of no. hope in that category. Yeah, because uh, there's no way he ever stops drinking. But, no. Um, <laughs> but when he was talking about the plate appearances, it was, uh, he was talking about Mitch, Polanco, and uh, who was the third? Garver. Garver. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it. there's reason to be optimistic, I think. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that conversation is there for you, or will be there for you at seattlesports.com. Click subscribe on our podcast page. That's that's really the best way to get everything every day, and you're in, you're in good standing at push that it. point. Push it, push it. Uh, meanwhile, as far as it pertains to the Seahawks, the, the new salary cap has been set at a record high $255.4 million. So... Now the Seahawks have close to $13 million in cap space, whereas we were talking about this last week and going, how are they over the cap? 
what is going on? Who are they spending the money on? And and they made the move with Gino, which freed up uh, 4.8, I believe was the number with that move, and then the, the expanding of the uh, salary cap. So they're now 22nd in terms of cap space amongst the, the teams out there. So they're not certainly not upper echelon with all this money to spend, but they're in a much better position. Does this still put them in a position, your mind, Dave, to cut somebody you otherwise wouldn't want to see leave or does it give them some flexibility maybe with somebody you know some of the some of the guys they'd like to keep around whether it's Tyler whether it's Quander I we don't even know who they would be thinking about cutting maybe outside of Jamal yeah um but what, what do you think it does for them in the way of dealing with some of these players that do make a lot of money that you want to keep but maybe prior to this you were thinking I don't know how we're going to do it yeah well and I think I think maybe they can get some of these guys just because of where we are. I mean, for Will Disley, don't you think they would they could convince him to take a cut and and I stay here? So. I mean, he went to University of Washington. He was started off as a D lineman. We draft him here. He's you know he's a huge part of this team. Sign the extension. Yeah, same thing with Lockett. I mean, by far, I, I think he's the most beloved. Seahawk that they have on the roster right now. And then, you know, you got Diggs and, and Jones also. And Dre Jones is kind of an interesting one. Not really sure. We talked about him after the after the season going, not really sure it's necessary for him to come back. But maybe there's some quality that he has that Mike McDonald is just raving about, right? So, yeah. But I feel like, you know, if you have to get guys to renego- renegotiate or, you know, move things around – I feel like with Lockett, Diggs, I don't know about Jones, but certainly Disley are guys that realize what a great place this is, and, yeah, I'm willing to work with you a little bit. I think that's more likely to happen here than in most other places. Yeah, and especially with somebody like like Tyler, and, and this is me just putting my impression of him on him, thinking that I, I feel like he's a guy that wants to end his career here. Right? Maybe, maybe I could be – 100% wrong. He might be absolutely fine moving to another team. But I just, I don't know. He's got his, his real estate stuff happening here. He's got, I don't know what he, Brown Bear. Brown Bear a, Car Wash. He's got, it's just, this has his, been his home since he entered the league. He's yeah. been an established star here. He's got all these connections outside of what he does. Now, that doesn't mean he couldn't play elsewhere and be here in the offseason. So certainly it's, it's beyond doable. But I just, to me, I look at him and feel like there's got to be some value to, playing your entire career with one team to him. Yes. I agree. I totally agree and you know he's just entrenched in the in the community and you know and I'm always curious what that number is. You know because if you have and, and every year it's always an exercise in sort of giving away somebody else's money but like right. you know like if if it's Tyler and let's say it's uh you know I'm just throwing a number out there. Let's say it's it's 12 million here and it's 14 somewhere else or 15 even. Does he go, you know what, that's worth $3 million to me to stay here? I mean, I know that's hard to say. Like I said, it's an exercise in giving away other people's money. Which is a lot easier than your own. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money that you would go without. But I just think for him, maybe that's what the value is. I mean, I'm sure he has his agent has him telling, telling him, uh, you know, saying, look, get a number in your head that you will, you will play here for. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I feel like, that does go uh, a long ways. Now, look when it's when it's money like with John, you know that they're not going to come off their their number. Like like the story he told us yesterday about how the agent said, "Yeah, I got this much from the, these guys. Good for you, man. Go yeah. get them. That's that's a Pulling great form. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're not gonna 
make a counter offer. Well, and, and when John said that, I guarantee you he wasn't being a smartass about it. He was yeah. just like, no, that's, that's a really good number for you. But the truth is we can't pay it. So, um, you know, but I, I think especially with yeah, maybe Diggs, maybe Quandre is, I, I feel like he's pretty happy here. He was back, you know, he was with the Lions, the Detroit franchise back when they weren't good. Before they were this Lions. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think he really appreciates it here. Certainly Lockett and, and Disley. I don't know about Dre Jones. And again, I, I feel like his performance last year, it was started off really good, but kind of dropped off a little bit in the end. But, um, you know, I think the thing with Disley, Bob, you know, we were talking about yesterday, was it 23 targets? 22. 22, 22 targets, 17 catches, 173 and, yards, yeah. and one touchdown. Yeah, and I mean, like, okay, it's one thing if he has a ton of targets and he doesn't have good numbers, but that's nothing. You're not getting much from him. I don't know how much is his fault versus the scheme versus... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. You know. Now you got a new offensive coordinator. You got a whole new head coach. So maybe things they look at him and go, "This is an underutilized weapon that they've had." How does how does this guy only have twenty two targets? Or maybe they look at him and say, "Yeah, he's expendable. We we can get that out of somebody even paying them league minimum." So I, I don't know. It's it's all going to be how the new coaching staff feels about a, a lot of these players, not just Disley, but just if they look at him as underutilized or just going, "No, we can do better for cheaper." Um, but John Schneider, when we spoke with him yesterday, and again, that conversation, in case you missed it, is on the podcast page at seattlesports.com, or you can check it out on YouTube at the Seattle Sports uh, YouTube channel. But every Thursday, we speak with John Schneider. We spoke with him yesterday, and he explained why renegotiating a contract is one of the tougher things he does. Yeah, reworking is different than, you know, just deciding, right? So, you know, there was a couple, I mean, our first ones were really like, you know, the tough the tough ones were really, uh, I think TJ Hushmanzada was one right away. That was really tough because we didn't know him very well. We had a lot of respect for the player. You know, obviously Chris Clemens and Red Bryant, those really hurt. That was really hard. And then there, there's, you know, along the way, you know, you just keep going to them. Sure, I mean, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of them. It's never, ever, ever easy. It's like the, it's, it, everybody's like, well, it's business. Yeah, it is business, but the way we treat people here it, it's uh it becomes personal and it's 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 hard to just push through that or brush it off as just business and it'd be hard as a player just get, from their perspective not to take it personally basically mm -hmm. that's the organization going you're scheduled to make this but in, in essence we're saying you're not worth that much yeah we've got to give you less <laughs> well and i think for most players and and i think most employees it's how you're valued yeah you know it's not so much the number it's it's that really this is what you think of me i mean that's that's the part i think that really and john talked about getting into the emotional part of it but you know it's it's also a very tough cutthroat game you know i was looking at will disley we were talking about uh, his yardage and same thing with his targets so he was ninth on the team in targets in targets like behind bobo and kenneth walker and charbonnet and noah fant and and then same thing with uh with yardage he was he was ninth I mean, he didn't get very many opportunities. He played in 16 games. I don't remember what happened, the one that he missed, but it's it's still like one <laughs> one catch per game. Yeah, one basically. touchdown. Just yeah, just a weird weird set of circumstances there with him. All right, coming up, a surprising reveal from one former NFL quarterback will absolutely make you say, "Why, man?" That is coming up next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Why, man? Why? Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. 
deal with it. He's a habitual line stepper. What were you thinking? What are you doing? Why are you the way that you are? It's the Y Man of the Week. Why Man is presented by Mazda of Everett. For those of you new to the program, this is a segment we do each and every week where we take a listen to something somebody said that just causes you to go, why, why would you say that? Why, man? Why would you do that? And uh, Or you're just kind of shocked that somebody would be that open, like Johnny Manziel, who's just kind of, I give him credit, he's, he's not shying away from who he was off the field. He's, he's owning every bit of it. I don't know that he's got much to lose at this point, so why not be honest about it? But he was on he was on Club Shay Shay, uh, Dave. What is that? That's Shannon Sharp's podcast. I don't I don't know what it means. I never called him that. We never called him that. He was he was my teammate for a number of years. Nobody said Shay Shay. Come over. Nobody said Shay Shay. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe uh, I feel bad saying it. Maybe it's got nothing to do with his name. I don't know. I don't know what it means. But he's made he's made some news with with this podcast. He had Cat Williams on there who went stream of consciousness for like two hours and threw everybody under the bus and oh. got millions of views and downloads. But uh, he had Johnny Manziel on there and Manziel was talking about that he had lost 40 pounds at one point and he hadn't really realized it till till he had weighed himself at a hotel on a hotel scale or something like that but here he is explaining it to Shannon and 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 how he did it I was 210 pounds when I left Cleveland I was 170 pounds sitting in Vegas that August that September October whatever it was later in that year how you lose 40 pounds? You're on a strict diet of blow. <laughs> Damn it. I was going to ask him how he, how he lost 40 pounds. You were so looking easily. for some tips. Yeah, I was looking for some tips. I, I'd look for a different tip, Dave. Don't use that one. I wow. mean, it, it's it's it feels like a cliche, like he kind of seemed like that guy, the party guy, and he was, you know, really buying into his image. And, and you know, remember he would do the, uh, the dollar signs. That was his celebration mm-hmm. and all that. And, you know, there was hesitation. I remember when he came out. He was a first-round pick, and he came out, and people were like, "Man, this this kid's got some issues." And and didn't he? Is he the one that skipped the or slept through the Manning passing camp or something? Remember there was yeah. a, was it him? I think it was. There was a story about him. Yeah. You know, he had been out partying, and he was out there for their camp, and I don't know if he didn't wake up or he didn't show up, something like that. But, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that happening, and and I just re- remember him having just a ton of talent. Yeah. He was kind of a skinny. I mean, he said he was two ten. Maybe that was post playing days, but he always looked like a kind of a, a skinny guy that just made plays. He was yeah. magic, man. He really was in college, and then yeah, everything. I think all the the trappings that go along with the money and notoriety and things like that got to him. Yeah, he's a guy that sort of lived down to his reputation. You know, unfortunately, that that was the word of him. Baker Mayfield was kind of in the same boat. We saw the video of him being chased by the bike cop and caught right. and all that. You thought that was just part Johnny Manziel part two. Now, to Baker's credit, he he turned things around and uh, has has turned into a pretty productive player out there. But, you know, we never talk about that. You know, the the success stories like that. I mean, Baker Mayfield, he was an idiot. Yeah, he really was. I mean, you, you saw as you mentioned, there was a video of him trying to run. I mean, there were two policemen there. And they were 
getting ready to handcuff him, and he runs away. And, and he got caught. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's a professional athlete. I don't know how fast that caught. cop was. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, but then he really turned things around, and I know we kind of joke about it, but kind of also think it's, you know, those commercials. and you Commercials know, think, did him so much good. Yeah. I mean, so much his, good. His popularity and everything. And, you know, and he turned everything around and, you know, and I feel like he was going the wrong way. And he, remember he was saying, you know, I need to stop popping off in the media and yeah. then he would continue to pop off and like, just be quiet, dude. And he did. Yeah. And, uh, and now, you know, he's, he's, he's a good quarterback. He's having a really good career, but for Johnny Manziel, I mean, this is part of the problem and this is part of the, the reason why when next week, when John Schneider and all of his scouts go to the combine, they bring these guys in, you know, yeah. because these guys are going as far as the the scouts, the area scouts, guys like Aaron Heinlein. Um, they are going to the schools and asking everybody from the trainer to the equipment guy to like, what kind of a guy is this? Mm -hmm. And you know, and then they want to see what, and they're going to do lengthy interviews. And I think, really, that's that's a huge part of it. I mean, you're talking about taking a kid now. It's different with the college kids now because they are making a fair amount of money, but you know, in the past, or if it's somebody who doesn't have some huge NIL thing, you're getting ready to get, you know, let's say you get $20 million. I mean, that's... that's how are they going to react? How are you, you going to handle that when you're 21, 22, 23 years old? So, yeah, those those parts of it, you know, that the Johnny Manziel story, I feel like is something that I don't think is ever going to happen with, uh, with the Seahawks just because of their, so due, their due diligence that they do as far as the, the guy's character. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, entry number two comes courtesy of Rick Patino, and these comments were both you, you know you looked at them and you heard them and went, "What are you doing, man? Why do you yeah. why why would you say that?" But it was so blatant and so harsh that it was almost kind of humorous. I think he has since apologized. If I if I read correctly, Lefko has he not? Yeah, and then they actually had a nice win after that. Didn't so. he come out oh, really? and kind of take ownership of it? Like, hey, I haven't coached very well or something. Uh, like, the second time. Because the second he time. then stood by it, the next press conference, and then I think he walked it back. Yeah, but in the moment here, it's it's worth a why, man. Yeah, this is this was the initial comment that he that he stood by initially and then thought better of it. Good on him. But this was the the initial comments he had where he calls out his entire his entire team for the year they've had. It's really that all the toughness things of why we give up leads. We are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling. And really it's not about losing. Because even in winning, winning when we watch the film, I see unathletic plays. I, I see people that don't handle the ball. that's just interested in taking quick shots. So it's been a disappointing year. If you had to do it over again, would you have attacked your first offseason differently? I had no choice. We just could take who we could get, who was available. We had no choice. Um, I don't think we were going to win the first year anyway because when you rush like that and you don't see the players and you just not, – not a whole lot we can do, but it's um, – I think I've enjoyed even, – even the Celtics when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had <laughs> since I've been coaching. He's, he's a St. John's, correct? Yes. Um, God. Yeah, he it makes it sound like he doesn't want anything to do with any of the no. players. It was just what I, I had to take, what we could get, and boy, yeah. just so non-athletic. Well, yeah, no toughness and unathletic. And so then, you know, he, they were uh, they were asking him about, uh, well, do you wish you hadn't taken the job? He's like, no, I love St. John's. 
St. John's, the program here is great, but, you know, just entirely ripping the uh, the players. So, yeah, I, I thought, and again, I, I said this earlier in the week when we did looked a, a little bit at this story, that you would much rather be called lazy or even stupid. I mean, anything other than unathletic. I mean, that, that to, for young guys, I mean, a bunch of, you know, college basketball players. And he's talking about even in our wins. We're yeah. so unathletic, and you know we're so unathletic. We can't guard anybody, so we have to foul. And foul, yeah. you know, did we had you? And these are guys you recruited. He's like, well, we had no choice. We had to just take what we could get. Like, I have this play to nothing, and I'm supposed to make something out of it. It just it, it was interesting to hear him be that sort of blunt about it. And and as Lefko said, he initially stood by it, and then he has since come out and apologized, and I think put it on him. Like, I have not done a good job coaching these guys, and you know. I'll, Cooler heads prevailed, or somebody got to him and said, "Dude, what are you doing? What, what, why would you say that publicly?" And then back it up again, stand by it. It just it, not not a good look. Well, and they say that kids are a little bit more sensitive these days. And now I don't know though that he um, because he started in 2023, so that he did kind of just inherit these guys, you know, at St. John's. So. I guess he can say that. I mean, it's not like he, he recruited these guys. So maybe that's what he's referring to. Hey, when I get a chance to to really go after these guys and, you know, do the right kind of recruiting and get some athletic guys. But to say it publicly. Tough. You can feel that way. He's perfectly entitled to feel that way. But to say that publicly it's and then the, you're going to try to get these kids to go out there and run through a wall for you. Or what about the future recruits? That he yes. said this. I mean, yeah, it, it goes against everything that I ever heard from you know Chuck Knox or any coach. It's like I'm going to take responsibility for this, and then behind closed doors, I'll go rip them. Yeah. All right. Coming up, the change to Geno Smith's contract yesterday answered one question about his future with the Seahawks. We'll get into what that is next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.